Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I hope that you will find this really useful. Thank you for being part of my world. Today is a special request from um, Hanane who got in contact and she says, um, I'm thinking about what might be beneficial for aspiring psychologists could be power imbalances during our sessions and how to address these and also maybe how we take into account social factors and inequalities when working with clients and families. Um, So thank you so much for um, your request, Hanane. I will do my very best um, to um, to answer that for you because it is a great question. So thank you. So when I was um, applying for um, doctorate places myself, um, I had a tendency um, to reflect on um, fiduciary relationships which might not be a relationship um, that you have heard of before but a fiduciary relationship is one where um, someone else has you know a duty of care for the other person so one person is coming along because they need something or maybe not always because they need something, they might not think that they need anything, but one of you has a duty of care or some kind of responsibility for the other person. So we would get fiduciary relationships. Um, If we were a psychologist and we had a client, we'd get them if you were a GP, you'd get them if you were a dentist, you know, or an occupational therapist, um, you know, speech and language therapist, all of these um, professions would be, whether they knew it or not, because it's not a very common term, uh, would be um, subject to fiduciary relationships. And there are obviously, um, you know, there's caveats to that, that that can make relationships a bit more complicated. And, um, you know, so along the lines of um, the boundary setting episode, which I believe from the top of my head is episode eight, there are limits to our relationship. And of course, our relationships should be friendly with our service users. They should be, um, you know, personable, I believe. Um, Although I have, you know, previously worked in a service where an R is dynamic. And so um, that is a slightly different type of relationship. But you're still polite, you know, you're not rude to people. Um, So, yeah, it's it's worth thinking about 
um, those power imbalances. You know, I know that many clients that I've worked with um, have wanted to call me Dr. Trent. Um, and I say to them, you know, you, you don't have to call me Dr. Trent. You can just call me Marianne. Um, but for them, perhaps culturally um, or because it's just the way they've been brought up, they want to continue to call me Dr. Trent. And I respect that about them you know um i'm not going to correct them every time i will i will explain that with them you know once um but many of them do still want to call me dr trent and clients that i might have been working with um you know for over a year still um message me in emails formally as as dr trent um but obviously to my face might call me marianne but um you know we're not we're not correcting um or dismissing what a client brings to them but um, you know we do have to be very careful um, with how we are handling our power and our responsibility and you know just to go over some of the boundaries stuff again we have to make sure that we are um, being clear about the caveats to our role we need to make sure that people have insight and can make an informed consent knowing what um you know what therapy and dealing with us as a service entails for them um so yeah you can't ever really talk too long <laughs> about um about consent and about the limits of confidentiality um and you know sometimes it can be useful to to say you know this applies for all all of our sessions together but sometimes people start at the beginning of every session by saying you know um a little something about confidentiality again but um yeah we do need to be uh, mindful of the impact that we have over others you know um and it uh my clients seem to have a great deal of impact over what i watch on on netflix um because they will often tell me what they're watching and then i think oh well, I feel like I don't want to miss out on the party. I feel like I need to get involved with that. Um, and, you know, I might have had a similar similar impact on you when I spoke about This Is Us. You know, maybe recently you listened to that and you're like, well, I've never watched This Is Us, but she says that's all right. You know, because you, go, you become a bit of an influencer, don't you, when you're um, chatting about things. Um, so, yeah, um, we can have shared experiences with our clients but we also have to know that there are differences and this is really useful fodder for supervision as well and you know whilst you might have um, shared characteristics with your client um, we have to be careful that we're not over identifying or diminishing our clients experiences because we have some understanding of what they've been through but you know sometimes our clients will purposefully seek us out especially in private practice because they believe that they we will know and resonate with um, with what they're talking about let's take a short break here and i will be back with you on the other side of this um this break hi my name is mark i'm an assistant psychologist in a specialist autism team in liverpool and i've just gotten onto the doctorate in exeter starting this september the aspiring psychologist podcast has been great for me the content and the guests are brilliant and um, I think Marianne does a really good job as a host of being really positive, normalising negative experiences and reminding people to be compassionate towards themselves. For me, the podcast is especially useful because I feel like I'm always busy 
and on the run up to interviews I could listen to it whilst I was at the gym and it allowed me to feel as though I was still getting that important time for myself and do things that are important for me whilst still engaging with stuff that is going to help me on my psychology journey without needing to carve out any separate and dedicated time for it. I definitely recommend that anyone wanting to know more about working in psychology give this podcast a listen as it gives a really clear and honest insight into the things you can expect. Okay, welcome back. So um, I was talking to a journalist um, yesterday about um, uh, about eating alone and cooking um, alone for ourselves um, and how that can be an ultimate act of self-care. But I also asked her to make reference to the fact that um, for many people um, currently, it would feel like a bit of a a decadent thing to do, to be perhaps switching an oven on just for ourselves or, um, you know, using all the resources of using a gas hob and then having to wash up all of the stuff just for one person. And I think unless you've got some awareness of the social context of that, unless you've yeah just taken that on board then we need to be make we we need to make sure that some of the suggestions and some of the things we might be discussing with clients um you know for activity scheduling for example or for building structure and routine into um life um to make it more functional and enjoyable we do need to make sure that we're not um you know socially unaware of what it is like for our service users to be trying to navigate the world at the moment um, when they might well be, you know, scared of, um, you know, factors associated with the pandemic. Um, They might, um, you know, be struggling financially to heat homes or um, put food on the table. And so it is really useful to have um, conversations with people even when um, it might look like they couldn't possibly be struggling for money. It's useful to check in with people about, you know, some of the factors from the Maslow's hierarchy, just to check how things are for them financially, how things, you know, you're not asking for bank statements here, but um, if someone is really struggling to pay their water bill or, um, you know, they're worried that they can't, um, you know, can't cover the cost of the next um, food shop that really does impact on people in in a big and important way and I had a recent conversation with a client um, where it came came to light that they they weren't really sure how they were going to fill their cupboards next time and so we used a bit of our time in the session to look at um, options for you know emergency food provision and that then freed the client up to to feel validated, to feel seen, um, and it wasn't done in a way at all to be shaming, um, but to just feel like they had other options available to them. Because if you feel like you can't feed yourself or your children, then it's you don't know where your next meal is coming from. It's very difficult to think about anything else, you know, because it can really dominate things. So it's important for us to have conversations um, 
even though it might be very different to your own experiences currently. Um, so I know everybody is feeling the pinch of um, increased cost of living, but where where people, where clients have got limited resources because the benefits haven't been increased, then, you know, the pressures are going to be that much more, really, than if you're working with a client who is able to put up their wages or put up their rates or, you know, go out there and earn more money um, just by picking up some more clients, for example. So just having an awareness of the social factors um, that are around right now um, can be really useful. And similarly, you know, when I've worked with clients who um, are in social housing, um, it's very difficult um, to imagine if you aren't in that context yourself about just what an impact it has upon you if you are living in close proximity to you know, a crack den, for example, which is something that one of my clients had experienced. Um, and the impact that has on you of being able to smell crack all the time and feeling like it's in your home and, you know, it's uh, affecting your health. And so, you know, sometimes even just having a conversation about your home, what it's like, how you feel to be there when you're there. Does it feel like a place of sanctuary or are there factors that make it very tricky so they might not might not tell you about some of these factors just unless you ask because there may be a great deal of shame or stigma and similarly I work with someone else who's got um I did we did work with them don't work with them anymore um and their their neighbor's dogs were incredibly noisy and it was you know affecting all areas of their well-being really and it was incredibly difficult but it wasn't something that I never I I necessarily would have thought to ask about had we not been doing a bit of a rundown of you know of what it's like to be them you know take me through your day from from morning to night and you know give me a flavor of some of the things that crop up for you in that day so that can be a really useful exercise getting to know your client and getting to know the unique struggles that which they might not necessarily be thinking are contributing to their difficulties but as we know they really can you know if it's impacting on our sleep or it's impacting on our ability to nourish or provide for ourselves or our children um, then that can be very difficult indeed and neighbor conflict um, is a big deal you know because it can really make people feel you know vulnerable in their homes so these are important conversations to have yeah I think being brave enough to ask questions but also just saying well how is that for you what's that like or being honest you know I don't have any experience of of growing up um, in a situation where you know English wasn't my first language, for example. How how has that been for you? Um, and I was recently um, doing a session with someone who spoke uh, three or four languages. And so I asked them, well, how is it when I ask you questions in English? And that isn't your first language. Can you tell me what goes on for you at that time? Um, and they were then able to answer, um, you know, what that is like for them. And um, they said that under pressure, it does beget, it does get a bit trickier. But generally speaking, they are able mostly to think about 
situations now um, in English. Um, but under pressure, we will often revert back to our earliest coping strategies. It might be worth knowing that for many of our clients that we might be working with, their earliest coping strategies might not almost be, you know, within the British, um, if you're listening to this in um, in Britain, they might not be socially that, that common within our British culture. So it's worth thinking with our clients about about what makes them unique and about their coping strategies and their way of thinking about the world and what things have been like growing up and how that might be different for them now. So many of my clients um, in the past have, have, have then been not with their family you know not in the same birth not in the same country as their birth families and that has its own unique challenges as well um so yeah just be open and interested and compassionate and wise and don't be afraid to ask how things are for your clients um don't always assume that you know um you know we really want to be getting a bespoke feel um for for your clients as being unique and valuable people uh, and not just being treated as a number so that's my own personal take on it but um yeah i hope you found this useful hanane i hope this was what you imagined it might be but if it hasn't been um let me know and i can give it another go Okay, thank you so much for listening. Please do take a moment to rate and review um, my podcast episodes um, on the Apple podcast app. Find me, the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Scroll right to the bottom, right underneath the trailer, and that's where you'll find the rate and review section. Um, So thank you so much for listening. If you would like to sign up to the waiting list for the Aspiring Psychologist membership, you can do that by checking out the details in the show notes or on my link tree thanks for listening and hope you have a lovely day take care if you're looking to become a psychologist then let this be your guide with this podcast at your side you'll be on your way to being qualified it's the aspiring psychologist podcast with dr marianne trent Hello, my name is Veronica Kassova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, It is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.